Good morning again. We are in week three of a series, Blueprint, and we're going to dive right into spiritual gifts this morning. And, and it's an important topic in the Bible. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, spiritual gifts are intended, and, and this is God's desire, they're intended to inform really your calling, which we've talked about some, but, but you all have, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a unique calling. You also have a special assignment or, or special gifts that God gives you, and spiritual gifts and understanding them inform that. They also inform how you serve, both within our community, the body, as well as you know, throughout the surrounding world. And spiritual gifts are, are this unique and very important part of what makes you you, how God created you, what makes you you, how he equipped you, how he designed you. And when we look at the scriptures, there are really four core passages about spiritual gifts that they teach us, you know, for the most part, a foundational theology of spiritual gifts. So there's 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, and then there's also Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4, which we'll delve into all of those uh, one way or another this morning. In 1 Corinthians 12, just the first verse there is quite interesting just to set the whole conversation. The Apostle Paul, who is writing this letter to the church at Corinth, he's written about half the New Testament, and he tells us something very important. He says, now about gifts of the Spirit or spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed, or in other translations as unaware. I want you to know about spiritual gifts. Or the, the, the other translation, the voice says, there's much you need to learn about spiritual gifts. That's how that translation says it. Along the way for, for me, I've been privileged to be part of a couple churches previously that understood spiritual gifts, did a lot of work on it, and, and really empowered people in their community, in their church, to use spiritual gifts, develop them, steward them, all that. And so I, so I've, I've learned a lot along the way. And, and, and in those churches, in those cases... Those churches thrived in large part due to this very thing about spiritual giftedness. And our desire as a community here at Awakening, our desire is to become a strong, healthy, flourishing church. To do that, we can't remain, as Paul says, uninformed or unaware of spiritual gifts as individuals, but also as a collective community. Now, I realize that this conversation picks up probably in a conversation you've already been in in your life in one way or another. Perhaps not. But some of you, you know, have ideas about spiritual gifts that, that might be uh, from your background or, or, or different understandings. There's, there's lots of nuances to spiritual gifts when, when you look at what the Scriptures teach on it. And so to set the course today, my, my goal is this is that we would lay a foundation of spiritual gifts that we can all kind of build a theology on. We would establish a foundational theology today about spiritual gifts, no matter where you're at and no matter what your background kind of coming into this. And, and the second goal is this, that, that you would begin to explore, if you haven't already, that you would begin to explore what one or more of your spiritual gifts are. I'm going to refer to and explain later, but I'm going to refer to something called your core spiritual gift or, or your primary motivational spiritual gift. But first, let me define what a spiritual gift is. We talked a little bit about this last week, but a spiritual gift is a special ability or divine endowment, you could say, a divine endowment given by the Holy Spirit, God, and distributed to every believer according to God's design and grace for the common good of the body of Christ. Here's a different definition, just said a little bit differently. A spiritual gift is a divine enablement or special God-given ability 
that God entrusts to each individual believer in order to involve them in the task of advancing his purposes. So to establish the foundational theology, we start by defining it. And now I want to I suggest three, what I believe are critical, crucial truths about spiritual gifts. If you want to know about spiritual gifts and understand them and not be unaware or uninformed, as Paul says, th- these are critical. So the first critical truth is this. It involves interdependence, this idea of interdependence. So from 1 Corinthians 12, we read this. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. There's the primary metaphor that that Paul and the scriptures use for, for, for spiritual gifts and understanding them, the body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. There should be no division in the body. It's hinting that unity in the body happens when we all do our own part. It's part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Then, a few other verses in that same text, if the whole body were an eye, it would look really gross, but it doesn't say that, sorry. Where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, what would the sense of smell be? But But in the fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. That's really important to understand. And I don't know if you've ever considered how, I don't know if you've ever gotten an injury and you hurt like, some part of your body. So I, um, I've been considering how important my thumb is of late because, you know, what do you, what do, you do most with your thumb? Text. Thank you. Yes, I do too. Thank you very much. There's two of us that text more than anything else with our thumb. And you also type, right? So you're pushing the space bar. So my thumb has just been killing me and it kind of comes and goes. And so I've endearingly called it textinitis that I have. But, but, but it's kind of obnoxious because sometimes I have to tape my finger, you know, and, and, and it's just annoying because literally every person I interact with, they go to shake my hand. And I'm like, oh, sorry, you know, or they just see the big, you know, glaring white tape on my finger and they're like, what's wrong? You know, and I just like hate like saying it like 19 times a day, you know, I wish they would just not see it. So maybe I need a different sort of way to wrap it. But anyhow, my thumb is so important. And when it's not working right, I notice. And when you think about a faith community, right, this is the metaphor. God intends spiritual gifts to function like a healthy human body. A healthy human body. And interdependence is an important concept here in that vein. When the body is working right, each part does what it does and not what another part is supposed to do. None of us are strong all the time. None of us have all the gifts. None of us can do it all. We need each other's giftedness for love, for growth, for maturity, for strength, really for unity, for hope, for encouragement. I mean, the truth is we need to be taught and led. We we need to be exhorted at times and challenged or confronted. We also need to be shown mercy and shown hospitality. We need to be cared, cared about and comforted and nurtured. And the list goes on. We were not created, we were not created to live independently, but interdependently. And we try to live independently. I mean, our whole culture kind of fuels that in a lot of ways. But we were created to live interdependently with one another and dependent on God. And interdependent means this, that we essentially commit who we are and what we have to serve others. It's sort of like, think think of it like your capital, who you are, and what you have to serve others. Interdependence means we, identi- means we identify what we can offer to other people and what we need from other people. 
And then we learn to maturely and appropriately serve each other and sometimes lean on each other. This is not a one-man show kind of faith or a one-man show kind of church. We are a team, and when we're all playing our unique part, this is what Paul is saying, when we're all playing our part, we're not only healthier, we're more mature, we're more unified, and we're stronger. There's strength in that. Or maybe you can just say it like the Golden State Warriors say it, which they say what? Okay, we have a few more fans in this service than the previous, but let's do that one more time. Yes, thank you. Let's say it one more time. Ready, set, go. Yeah, we got some Golden State fans. All right. I just want to gloat in that because it's been a month, you know, and you kind of lose sight of it. But anyway, I move on. Strength in numbers. That's the idea, really, that we're strong when we're unified, when we're working together, when we're all playing our part. I mean, it is really why the Golden State Warriors won the championship. Ultimately, they all played their part well. And when you look at Ephesians 4, another core text in this whole conversation, we read this. And Christ gave gifts to people. He made some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to go and tell the good news, or or you could say evangelists, some to have the work of caring for and teaching God's people, pastor, shepherd, and then teacher. Christ gave those gifts to prepare God's holy people for the work of serving or to equip God's people. To make the body of Christ stronger. Then later in verse 16, from him, Jesus, the whole body, joined together and joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its own work. When we're all doing our own part. When we do what we were created to do, we become like a healthy human body working right. Or you could say a high-performance team. We become unified and we thrive and we flourish as a church. Because ultimately, God uses the diversity of our gifts to foster unity, growth, strength, maturity in the body of Christ. That's how he made it to be. That's how he designed you and us together as a body. So interdependence and and a healthy human body, that's the first critical truth. The second one is this, that, 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 that spiritual gifts involves healing, In Ephesians 4, what we just read, God grants these gifts to people to, remember what it said, to prepare God's people for works of service or to equip God's people for works of service. So Paul, the writer here, writes and really reaches into the medical dictionary here. There's a term that doctors used at the time. In the Greek original language of the New Testament, there's a term, and it was was about, uh, it referred to the setting of a broken bone. And here's the deal. Broken people come to churches. That's the intent. And quite frankly, all of us are broken people. Not We don't come with broken bones, per se, perhaps, but, but with broken hearts and broken dreams and broken homes and broken lives. And we limp in sometimes on a fractured faith. But when the church operates as the church is intended to operate, these folks, and that's sometimes us, these folks find healing and hope. That's God's dream for the church. These people are strengthened, and they find wholeness, and they are healed along the way. 
Because here, here's a picture of the church. It, it's when pastors and teachers are touching and healing. They're, they're nurturing and caring for, and they're instructing and inspiring. Or when gospel bearers or evangelists, when they're sharing the good news. I mean, they have this keen ability, if you have that spiritual, this keen ability to share the gospel message in such a compelling way, to articulate it well, to do it so naturally and freely in a way that helps people make sense of both the immediate and present and future implications, the eternal implications. And they do that so well. And then you have prophets who, who speak words of truth and, and they confront deception and sin and they call people to repent and turn from what they're doing that's damaging their life. Or you have the apostolic leaders or visionaries. They, they, they dream and they inspire us. They call us to contribute. They call the best out of us. They bring change. Other people administer and organize things and we need that. Some come alongside and support the greater cause by doing concrete tasks. You could call that the gift of helps or service. Some people pray more fervently than the rest of us, like we couldn't even imagine praying. They intercede faithfully, spiritual gift of intercession. And it's almost like their stamina for prayer and praying for others doesn't ever run out. Some lead, some follow, some help freely and faithfully. Some meet every need they can. Others give generously, gift of giving, to provide resources for every need they can. And there are people who confront sometimes, which we don't like but need, that they push us. There's others that show great hospitality or, or extend mercy or, or maybe they infuse us with hope. Some people have this amazing ability to infuse us with hope in our pain and our struggle in the time we need it most. And this goes on and on, but this is a snapshot of the church working right, of God's dream for how the church ought to operate together as a body, each, each person doing their own part. And, and when we do that, you know what happens? The church begins to flourish. It is stronger. It is more unified. It is healthier. And we want here at Awakening, we want to be that kind of church. But there's a role that you need to play. 1 Corinthians 12, 6 says this. God works through different people in different ways. But in the, it is the same God who achieves his purposes through them all. So again, we all play different roles to help heal brokenness, to make each other whole along the way, to bring life change, to extend hope to one another and the surrounding world. Why? So Ephesians 4.12 says to make the body of Christ stronger so that our impact on the world is greater. And brings glory to God. I mean, none of us should overlook or underestimate the place we feel compelled to serve or the need or needs that we feel compelled to meet. Because God has put that in you. God has given you that motivation. The Bible says all of you together are Christ's body, and each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it. So to say it real clearly, your gifts, whatever they are, your gifts are a necessary part to this body, Awakening Church. Your gifts are necessary to this body, and none of your gifts, none of your gifts are insignificant. Now, I know some of you maybe internally in your own way think, you know, maybe I'm like the toenail of the body. I don't know. Kind of useless, maybe, you think. But, I mean, think about this. It's kind of a gross image. But, you know, if you don't have any toenails or fingernails, I mean, you don't want that, right? You want, or, or maybe you think of yourself as a hair follicle, no one has to admit that, but trust me, the male population wants more of you. So um, you are significant, right? I need some more myself. So anyhow, um, but what I love, I love what Romans 12, 5 says in this translation, the message, it's a paraphrase, but, but here's what Eugene Peterson says. He says, so since we find ourselves fashioned 
This is amazing. I love how he says this. Fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body. Let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. That's so well said. And, and simple and beautiful, yet sometimes so hard to do. We find ourselves comparing ourselves. Or we find ourselves proud of our own gifting, even, at times. So we have to understand this idea of healing, that our gifts are intended to bring healing to people's brokenness, to bring them toward wholeness. The, the third critical thing to remember about spiritual gifts involves the word grace. So interdependence, healing, and grace. 1 Corinthians, again, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 11. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. God gives the gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. He's the one who decides. You don't earn it. You don't choose it. And frankly, you don't deserve it. It's a grace gift. So, so Paul uses this interesting Greek word, charismata or charismata. And the term derives from a root word, charis, which can be translated grace or even joy. But grace, charismata literally means grace gifts. We tend to think of God's grace as a forgiveness of sins, which is certainly encompassing of that. But it's not limited to that. God's grace is also evident in his creative generosity, in the grace gifts that he gives to every single follower of Jesus. Our word charisma comes from this term. But where we think of charisma as this attractive magnetic quality that only a few have, God says that every one of his redeemed sons and daughters has charisma. It's inconceivable to Paul that any Christ follower should be without this kind of charisma. And so upon spiritual birth or, or conversion to faith in Jesus Christ, every one of us receives grace gifts. So every follower of Christ has at least one spiritual gift, if not more. We don't earn, earn them, choose them, or deserve them. They're grace gifts. And, only our, and, sorry, and, and our only appropriate response, our only appropriate response when grace comes to us is to give our lives in return. So whatever your spiritual gifts are, embrace them as grace gifts, undeserved gifts, be grateful for them, value them, and then offer those gifts back to God in love and service and gratitude to build his church, to, to expand his kingdom, to serve others, to bring him glory. Because here's the deal. If you missed it, listen, we have all been given grace gifts, and we are all called to be grace dispensers. We're called to use our gifts to dispense grace to the world around us, to dispense grace to each other along the way. Grace is available to us, been given to us, and we are to be conduits of grace to others. Now, I want to kind of turn our conversation uh, to be more specific about spiritual gifts and, and specific kinds. So we're going to press a little bit deeper here. We, we've laid a, a theology or a foundation about spiritual gifts, but, but I want to give you a framework that, is, that I found to be super helpful to me and, and has high resonance, and I found it to be true in experience, and, and I see it in the scriptures as well. So along the way, as I talk about these different gifts, what, what I would just encourage you to do is try to identify which one or two gifts might, might be yours. You may be already clear, 
uh, coming in today, so you can learn different nuances of it, or you may not be anywhere on the spectrum, but, but just try to self-identify. So, so, so let's step back from the scriptures, and if you go, all right, Peter, he wrote First Peter 4, right? He writes this letter, and if you ask Peter, if he was standing here with us, and you said, hey, Peter, what do you think about spiritual gifts? One important thing he would tell you is, I think there's two different kinds, he would say. He'd say there's serving gifts and there's speaking gifts. 1 Peter 4, 11, he says essentially that. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Then if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, serving and speaking, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So that's one framework, serving and speaking. It's good, helpful. Another framework that a lot of people put in is, is these three terms, priestly, kingly, and prophetic. And they essentially say these are the three categories that pretty much every spiritual gift in the Bible can be put into. And we could talk more about that. But I want to give you a, a third alternative framework. that They don't necessarily contradict each other. They're, they're just different ways to kind of organize the spiritual gifts in the Bible. So this one's been really helpful. Uh, those are two good and, and valid frameworks as, as well. But, but here's the deal. Here's something important to understand. The Bible doesn't explicitly give us a framework that categorizes the spiritual gifts. But I have found since there's like 25 to 30 of them, different categories, because there's so many nuances, different categories is, is really helpful. And through years of study, literally, and learning, and this is true of many others, including Ryan, our pastor, lead pastor here, uh, to have this framework, it makes the most sense, it has the most resonance, uh, it's biblical, and, and, and helps us understand and really apply spiritual gifts in proper ways. So here's the three categories I'm going to give you that I believe all uh, spiritual gifts fall into one of these. So one, motivational gifts. So there's motivational gifts. And that's, uh, those represent what God does in you to motivate your thoughts and actions and whatever motivational gift you have. It also shapes your perspective on life or how you engage with people. Then you have ministry gifts. And that's really about like the ministry uh, that you sort of see in action a lot of times, which I'll talk more about that. And then third, you have manifestation gifts. Which is, which is how God's Spirit shows up and kind of manifests himself among the people, right? Or, or through your life kind of thing. So we'll get more into that. But the motivational gifts, they provide a frame of reference through which Christ followers see the needs of others. It's sort of like a lens, if you will. It's a lens through which you see the needs around you. And it's the motivation that emerges that you almost can't like shut off. And so Romans 12 is really the key text here because it tells us the seven motivational gifts, which again, I believe every follower has one of them. So here's what Romans 12 says. I'll read a few verses leading up to that. The context here is Paul has just talked about this idea of offering your life as a living sacrifice, offering your whole life as a living sacrifice to God. And then he says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So, so say sober-minded about this. Verse 4, For just as each of us has one body with many members, there's the metaphor again, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So we're, we're one. And then you have verse 6, where the seven gifts come up. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, or some translate that, exhort, then give encouragement or exhortation. If it is giving, 
then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And so he lists these seven spiritual gifts. One of those, I believe, for every one of you as a follower, is in your gift mix, is your primary motivational gift or your core gift. So for me, for instance, my, my primary core motivational gift is, is leadership. And then in my gift mix, which is kind of your two or three or whatever together, if, if God so graciously gives you two or three, my, my other two are, are in this order. So leadership and then like pastor or, or that word's translated in Greek, shepherd, like pastor shepherding kind of gift. I guess I'm in the right field. Maybe. Um, which, by the way, you don't have to, if, if you have a shepherding gift, that doesn't mean you have to be a pastor. You know, like there are shepherds among us, I know, because uh, I've experienced some, some of you. And then my third gift would be teaching, which isn't as strong of a gift, uh, but, but, but seems to be one God's given me. But it's through these motivational gifts that we have, that one motivational gift, that, that God motivates us and makes us aware of the needs around us that he wants us to meet And then we minister to others through the ministry and manifestation gifts. We're going to unlayer that a little bit today and and more next week. So so in other words, my primary motivational gift is leadership. And where my leadership comes out most is like in a shepherding context or a pastoral kind of context. And and then I have this teaching gift, which comes out, you know, to lesser degree. but, But sometimes my like leadership comes out through teaching or I'm motivated to teach because of leadership, right? Like, like leadership motivates me. And again, I didn't earn these gifts, I didn't choose these gifts, and I certainly don't deserve these gifts. But along the way, I've discovered that it seems to me in the context of community that these seem to be the gifts that God has given me. And so I want to steward them well, develop them, use them, and I have a journey to go ahead still in, in all that. When you study spiritual gifts in the New Testament, you look at the whole of it, I mean, there's these different lists, essentially, there's one in verse, sorry, in Romans 12. There was one we just read in Ephesians 4. There's, there's a few in 1 Peter 4 and other places, even scattered throughout the Bible, Old Testament too. And here's one thing to note. And most people think this in, in the arena of spiritual gifts. There's not an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts in the Bible. Not an exhaustive list. Because all these different lists basically implies that, because Paul writes most of what we have about spiritual gifts, but there's never like a set list he just keeps going back and repeating. I mean, he might say prophecy in one context and prophecy in another, but it's not the same list. And, and so there's, you know, kind of like the short version is there's not an exhaustive list. But there are 25 to 30 spiritual gifts that are really clear in the Bible that we can identify with. And then another note about Romans 12, it seems, seems to me, and, and many others again, seems to me that Paul is trying to give a framework for understanding spiritual gifts and how they fit together. Again, it's not the only view or framework, but, but it's a helpful one. And, and when you look at that context in Romans 12, th- there's three Greek words that are significant in understanding this a little bit better. We, we mentioned one, charismata or charismata, is the grace gift or gifts of holy grace. could be translated that way. The second one, Paul says, he says this. He says there are different kinds of service. The Greek word there is diokinion. Everybody say that. Well, you guys did pretty good. That's pretty good. I can't even say it. I probably didn't even say it right. I don't know. Anyway, this is the idea of a waiter of tables or a server. And then there's this third important word to understand. It's literally translated different kinds of workings, energomaton. It's where we get our word energy. So if you missed any of that, Paul takes this framework, and here's essentially what he's saying. There are certain motivations, drives, passions, or energy that moves us to serve and dispense grace to others via our spiritual gifts. 
Whatever your motivational gift is, it comes out in different ministries or services. For instance, here's an example, you might have the spiritual gift of prophecy. And that plays out, perhaps you also have like pastoring or leadership. And so it plays out in sort of you're motivated to be prophetic through your pastoral leadership or something like that, right? Or you have the gift of prophecy as your primary motivational gift. And let's say you have the gift of intercession. So your prophecy comes out kind of via intercession in that kind of ministry. Or another alternative, let's say you have the gift of prophecy and you have a gift what, what I refer to and some refer to as, as um, creative communication, which we find in the scriptures to be more of an encompassing spiritual gift of things like writing and, and the arts, things like that, right? Like a worship leader could have a creative communication spiritual gift, but you could have prophecy and the prophetic stuff is what, what motivates your spiritual gift, your, your ministry essentially, right? You follow that, how they kind of sync up and, and you have to do some work on thinking about your own gift mix once you know what it is of how it all plays out. So if, if you kind of are like a little bit lost for the last 60 seconds, I'll, I'll distill it down and, and clarify. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you have one primary motivational gift, and that motivation will get expressed in a variety of ministries, depending on what your other gifts are, and I'll even say passions. And then it manifests itself upon God's choosing. Ultimately, your gift doesn't, quote, work unless God is there and present and doing his work. So Romans 12, another different layer to that. If you look at the phrasing of it, you see this, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him prophesy. If it's leadership, let him you know, lead with all diligence. Let him, let him, let him is the repetitive phrase there. And so grammatically in Greek, it's essentially saying this, that we are to function within the sphere of our gift. Or another translation says, stay within the boundaries of your gifting. Now, with that in mind, I want to like step to the side of that for, for a moment because, because this is very important to understand. When you look at Romans 12 and you look at that verse, the let him, redundant, repetitive, you know, not redundant, re- repetitive you know, deal there, let him, let him. What's important to understand before we move fast forward too quickly is that all seven things in Romans 12 are things that all of us, if we're followers of Jesus, ought to be displaying and embodying in our lives. All seven of them. In other words, we're all called to give and to serve and to one degree or another to lead or even teach or even prophecy, right? Meaning there are moments when there's someone in front of you or in your life that there's deception or sin and God is calling you to speak boldly. And so there's a prophetic moment. And so we're all called to one degree or another to show mercy or, or, or you know, all the rest of them. So every person and every church, for that matter, needs to be doing all seven things to honor God and obey him. They're, descri- they're descriptive of a maturing follower of Jesus. Now, that said, we usually don't do those in the way that someone with a spiritual gift of giving or serving or whatever has. There, there's a whole different kind of level to how they engage with their gifts. So what makes these spiritual gifts versus traits that we all embody in essence is this, is that if the gifted person, let's say you're a spiritually gifted teacher, Paul is saying this. He's saying, put your focus, the lion's share of your time on teaching. Or if it's mercy, man, maximize the amount of time you spend showing mercy to others or extending compassion. 
or giving or leadership or whatever it is. That you would focus and realize that that's your primary motivational gift and God wants you to give your best time to that. It doesn't mean you don't serve or give or, or, or lead or do whatever other these seven are. But the text is teaching us about where we as followers should spend our best energy and focus specifically around who God designed us to be. So let's self-assess for a few minutes as we move toward the close here. Let's self-assess and let me go through the seven motivational gifts there and see if you can identify which one is perhaps yours. Okay, so the first one is prophecy. The definition is this, the the divine enablement to reveal truth and to proclaim it with power and clarity. And then this next part is really important. In a timely and culturally sensitive fashion, sometimes prophecy kind of skips that when using the gift, for understanding, correction, repentance, or edification, or building up. This can have immediate or future implications. It's not so much predicting the future, which we kind of see some of that in the Old Testament. It's more about forth-telling, right? And it's proclaiming something to change this, to move toward that sort of idea. They ask with this gift, what needs to be addressed or confronted, and they see truth often. If you have this gift, you see truth that people don't necessarily see, often don't see. And then you have a boldness about you that wants to speak forth with it. And you have to sometimes work through that. And how do you tactfully like, bring this gift to the table into a community or into a person's life? And that's, that's, there's growth in that. But you're generally very persuasive. You often see things black and white. And you more boldly confront deception or sin. Then there's the serving gift, or sometimes called the gift of helps. I think a lot of people in our community have that. I mean, I just, I've, I've been in Awaken a while now and just see this gift just, just everywhere kind of thing. And um, so a lot of you might have this. So it's the divine enablement to attach spiritual value to the accomplishment of physical tasks within the body of Christ that supports, frees up, and meets the needs of others. They ask the question, what can I do to help? Really simple. They love helping with concrete tasks and projects that they pretty much almost all the time are behind the scenes kind of people. They often don't need a lot of affirmation, although they're human, and so they need some affirmation like, like all of us do. And just one example, I know there are many in our community, but, but, but Lisa, who runs our cafe outside. I mean, you guys show up most you know, Sundays, and there's this amazing spread of pastries out there, right? And you guys like, you know, eat them up, and then there's coffee, and, and there's cream, and there's oranges, and there's, you know, the list goes on and on and on and on, and on right? And I mean, we don't just like snap, snap our fingers and have some you know, transformer like open, and everything's here, right? And there's a lot that goes into that. And we're glad you enjoy it, but there's people that put a hard work in that, and Lisa's one of them. But here's the coolest thing. I don't know how many years Lisa has been, has been doing this uh, so faithfully. And by the way, she doesn't even drink coffee. And she's been so faithful, and she is a hero. And I think she has a gift of serving. I actually didn't ask her that, but I'm going to tell her that, that she does have that gift because I see it everywhere, right? She's motivated to serve in that way. Can we give Lisa a hand because she's in the room? Yes. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And there are others, and others, in fact, help with the cafe. So not to, I mean, just can't go through everybody. But, but that's the gift of serving in action. Then the next gift, teaching. This one's fairly self-explanatory, but the divine enablement to understand, clearly explain, and apply God's word in ways that cause Christ-like character and inspire greater obedience in people's lives. So there's one pastor I know, great teacher, 
And, and he tells a story when he first began to preach. It was really early on. I don't think it was his first time preaching, but, but one of the first few times he got asked to preach at this church. And, and, he, and he, um, he, he found speaking in front of people to be a, a deeply moving experience. He had a sense that God was calling him to, to be a preacher, kind of pastor, part of his calling. And so one Sunday early on, about 10 minutes into his sermon, he started feeling warm and kind of dizzy. And all of a sudden, bam, he fell, landed on the ground. Next thing he knew, he saw people standing over him asking if he was okay. He had fainted during the sermon. And, and, and then, like, you know, he, he went abroad for a year and he came back and the pastor asked him, hey, I want you to preach again at our church. He's like, really? Like, after that happened, you want me to go again? Okay. So he comes back to the same church and gets up there again and same thing happens. Ten minutes in, he goes down. Right? It's like, I kind of want to laugh. I know that's maybe a sick thought. Maybe you're more compassionate or have the mercy gift. I don't know. But, but, um, but it wasn't, unfortunately, a Baptist church. I mean, it was a Baptist church. Sorry, it wasn't, unfortunately, a charismatic church. Sorry. In a Baptist church, fainting is fainting. Right? In a charismatic church, you might get credit for that. Oh, he's being slain in the spirit. He's a really spiritual pastor. Man, he's like encountering God in this moment, you know. And here's the funny thing. The church attendance spiked. And it's kind of like reality TV. Sort of, right? But not really. But, you know, like you want to come back every week. You're not hoping he falls down again and faints, but you're like, if he does, I want to be there to see it kind of thing, right? I mean, I would. And so attendance went up, which is kind of funny. But, but here's the deal. The, the, the pastor could have bailed. What did they say? The, the, the fear of speaking in front of people is like stronger than the fear of death. I mean, there would have been a thousand reasons why he shouldn't. He's an introverted guy. He could have, you know, bailed easily. No problems. Nobody asked questions. But he didn't. And this happened several times. But he kept at it, and the pastor kept giving him opportunity. I want you to speak again. He kept at it. And here's the deal. If the guy would have given up years later, decades later, thousands upon thousands of people would not have been ministered to by his spiritual gift. He's a remarkable Bible teacher, world-renowned, impacted my life. You may or may not know him, but his name is John Ortberg. He's actually a pastor in the Bay Area, up the Bay in Menlo Park. And this happened early on. And here's my point. None of us get a spiritual gift given to us in fully developed form. And that's important. It may seem obvious, but it's important to know that it takes identification and discovery and trial and error and experimentation. It takes jumping in. It takes asking for feedback. Perhaps a spiritual gift assessment, you know, can help you along the way, which, by the way, in your program, we have a link to one of those. It's our website, backslash spiritual gifts. You can take it this week. That can be a helpful tool. It's not the end all, right? You have to do that in community. But none of us get gifts developed in fully. And trust me, I spoke when I was 19 years old because some pastor basically persuaded me, you need to speak. And I just kind of told him, like, hey, I feel called to like, be like, in vocational ministry. I don't exactly know what that looks like. It's like, all right, you're going to speak next week. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know? And like, I got up there. It was awful. I filmed it. And I threw it away later how bad it was because it was just embarrassing, right? And I could have bailed, but no, like, I, I started to sense a lot. And by the way, I didn't know I had the spiritual gift before I first taught. I mean, I had to jump in, and I, and, and I learned that along the way and saw kind of the community affirm it. I mean, they were like, great sermon, 19-year-old guy that really stunk, you know, but they were still like positive, you know, because it's like they saw something, a little bit of something, but a thread of something there. So that, that's, the, that's the teaching gift, and that's just a word about developing your gift. The, the next gift, exhortation. Sometimes it gets translated encouragement, but um, I know in English that, that does, you know, exhortation almost feels like you're like, Almost like confrontational, encouraging is like, yeah, hang in there. Well, this gift is, is, is circumstantial in terms of how it plays out. The word literally means to come alongside of. 
right? And so, so you come alongside of someone and sort of offer what they need an exhortation or an encouragement. So sometimes that's like a hang in there. It's going to be over soon. And, and other times it's more of like you need to have courage and speak up to your boss because you're being wronged, you know, or something like that. And, and so the, the gift here is the divine enablement to present truth so as to strengthen, comfort, or urge people to action who are discouraged or wavering in their faith. So you're, you're like a coach, sort of. And it's circumstances dependent. And they ask the question, how do I bring this person to wholeness? How do I bring them to wholeness? Then you have the gift of giving, the divine enablement to earn money, manage well, and wisely contribute to the work of the Lord with cheerfulness and abundant generosity. They ask, what can I give to meet the need? What can I give to meet the need? And sometimes that's money, often it is. Other times that's resources, They often like to be behind the scenes or anonymous. They're incredibly generous, incredibly sacrificial. Sometimes they work extra to make more money so they can give more money away. They don't think in terms of how much money can I make, but how much money can I give away. It tends to be how they think. And I got a neighbor who has this gift that I've benefited from a lot, and he'll like, like, randomly come over to my house and like drop by a bottle of wine or something like that. And, and so this past Christmas, he gave us a gift card to this restaurant that Sharon and I go to all the time. We go to the restaurant and, and we show up and we pay with the gift card. It didn't have the amount on it. And the, the server comes back and it says, there's $482 left on your card. And we're like, what? Is that wrong? Was it supposed to be 50, not 500? He gave me a $500 gift card. I didn't even give him a gift. You know, it's like, but, but, but I mean, he's got so much joy in his giving and he blesses others. And I mean, this is just a thing for him. And he's got the spiritual gift of giving. And he loves doing it. And then we have the spiritual gift of leadership, which is the divine enablement to see what needs to be done, to cast vision, to set goals, to lead and motivate people to accomplish the purposes of God. So this is my primary motivational gift. So it motivates me. That The literal translation is to stand before. So it's like this idea of there's a target and the, the gift of leadership is pointing at it, say, we're going to hit that target and we're going to do it together. The question they ask, what do we need to do to accomplish that goal? And then they act and direct and, and kind of mobilize people. And then you have the wonderful gift of mercy. These people make you feel good. That's sort of the unofficial definition, you know. The divine enablement to cheerfully and practically help people who are suffering or in need, having compassion that is moved to action. They ask, how can I make this person feel better or not feel embarrassed, perhaps, if something embarrassed happens, or, or not feel their pain as much or, feel, or, or, or they feel like someone's in it with them. They notice what a lot of us don't notice. Remember I talked about the lens? They have a lens that, that often we don't have naturally. And they see the person who's lonely or hurting or in pain, and they want to alleviate that pain and suffering and loneliness and hurt. They want to include the forgotten or excluded this word literally means, mercy means to show compassion. How many of you would say you have the, the spiritual gift of mercy somewhere in your gift mix? Will you raise your hand? Because you guys are awesome. Can we just give them a hand? Yes, thank you. I mean, all your gifts are awesome, but I mean, I just wanted to highlight them just because, you know, they're really awesome. So anyway, don't quote me on that. A lot, a, a lot of us, right, we, we look at those gifts and we identify with one of them most, right? What really motivates me? And if you're still in that journey of figuring that out, that's okay. Maybe you go, I know kind of what my two or three are, but I'm not sure what my primary one is. Well, keep reflecting on it. Keep inviting people to, to give feedback on it. Keep doing the introspective work around that. I mean, Romans 12, I believe, gives us a rock-solid foundation to understanding spiritual gifts. 
And there's a lot more we can talk about. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts more next week and unlayer these gifts and, and other gifts even, uh, even more next week. When we look at the New Testament, we are called, every one of us who are followers of Jesus, we are called to identify our gifts, but then also to use them to serve and to steward them and develop them to the best of our abilities, all in the vein of giving glory to God. First Peter 4.10 says, as each one of you has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So when we serve in alignment with how God designed us, when, when we're using and stewarding our gifts well, we will not only bring glory to God, but we will also experience joy and meaning and fulfillment. We'll bear fruit in unique ways in and through our lives. And here's the thing. If you don't know your gift or you're not sure how that plays out, what I would tell you is jump in anyway. I know a lot of you are serving, and that's awesome, and we're so grateful for, for you in this, in this community. But... But you know, it's easier to steer a moving car than a parked car. You, you can't really learn how to ride a bike by listening to, someone, listening to someone tell you how to ride a bike. I wish my son you know, could just listen to me and then he would be like a master. It's not how it works. You can't learn to swim unless you get in the pool. You can't just watch videos on swimming. Hey, here's the freestyle. Here's the backstroke you know, kind of thing. No, you, you have to get in the pool. And sometimes you might feel like you're drowning. You've got to be in there so you can learn and, and figure out, okay, what's my gift and how do I use this? And it's a journey to be sure. I want to invite the band to come back up for a final song this morning. But, but I want to just say to you that wherever you are in the spectrum and on this journey, and maybe you're still getting clarity and, and that's okay, but keep at it. I mean, you have those spiritual gift assessment tools that, that can be helpful, so take it if you want, but, but, but jump into community. Get involved if you're not involved. Invite other people, you know, for feedback. And what do you think my gifts are? Do you, do you, do you see any gifts, you know, spiritual gift in me? I mean, I'm, you know, people that know you, the better they know you, the, the more, you know, probably clear or, or right on they'll be. But if you're not already in, get involved. We have this blue card we talk about pretty much every week. And lots of you are already volunteering, but, but there's different places to volunteer. Kids ministry, you have tech ministry, we, we have some needs there, sound, video. You know, this stuff isn't just like, you know, here when you get here without no one doing anything. Right? We have cafe, we have needs there, and ambiance and stage design stuff we do. There's web stuff, and there's set up and tear down, and, and all different areas that, that you can use your gifts. And God has called you to use your gifts, and we need your gifts. None are unnecessary. None are insignificant. And so, so jump in. And if you don't know, just mark down the card, volunteering, and I would love to have a personal you know, conversation with you and help you sort of figure that out. But you have to ask yourself, and this is the question I leave you with this morning, ask yourself, are you most motivated Look at Romans 12. Are you most motivated to prophesy or to serve or to give or to lead or to teach or to show mercy or to exhort or encourage? What are you most motivated by? And then begin to reflect on that and then, then reflect on how that plays out and how you've seen perhaps even God show up. I mean, I'm amazed, quite honestly, that, that anybody could stick anything out of my teaching once in a while. And it's like God works through gifts. Right? You don't earn them, you don't choose them, you don't deserve them, but God works through gifts for reasons we don't fully understand. But that's what he's decided. He's decided to create us as a body. And so identify what yours is. We want your gift to be used in our community. We need it. And God has called you to discover it and steward it well for his glory. And so as this next song plays, it's called Beautiful Things. It's that idea of God, the creator God, the one we worship and praise. He created you 
from the dust, it says, to be a beautiful thing. You are immeasurably valuable. You are God's masterpiece, his original work of art. You have gifts. He's equipped you. He's called you. He's called you to serve, serve in this community, and he wants to use you in the world that surrounds you as well. So as this song plays, I invite you to engage with it, sing, reflect, and worship God ultimately, the grace giver, because he wants you to be a dispenser of his grace to others. Let's sing together.